everyone. Welcome to mini episode 111 of Real Life Ghost Stories. To kick things off this week, I need to thank some of our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Ashley Guzman, Maggie Barnes, Jen Daleskowitz, who very helpfully wrote her name in phonetics, Denise Armour, Elizabeth L, Evine Cullen, Caroline Robinson, Sylvia Von Gerichin, Sarah, Danique Edens, Jamie Curry, Lauren Losh, Anne Grancelli, and Hanny Lauren. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I appreciate you every single day. And I have seven spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from March the 25th, 2021. And I just want to apologise in advance. So there are currently workers outside of my house working on the water lines. So if you hear muffled voices or bangs or knocks at various points during this episode, I really do apologise. But uh, that's what it is. It's not anything supernatural. And I have a pretty tight recording schedule. Story number one comes from Sash. I worked in a pub during my university holidays. It was Victorian with three stories and a long bar downstairs. One night I served a couple of regulars, a middle-aged chap and his mum. He'd have a half pint of mild and she had a glass of lemonade with cherries and no ice. He paid and I turned around to put the money in the till. As I did I felt a wrench on my shoulder like I'd been grabbed from across the bar. But the bar was deep. The till was set far back and the man was lovely and there was nobody else there. I walked from the till to the end of the bar where the hatch was and was pushed hard and I stumbled forward. The landlord caught my eye as if to say, what the fuck is wrong with you? Nothing else happened but it changed the place for me and when people say that ghosts can't hurt you, I always think, yes they can. Shortly after graduating, I started to work in the National Trust houses, looking after collections and the houses and volunteers and lived in provided apartments. My first house had a little flat right at the top. One night I woke up to the sound of ashes being scraped and swept from the bedroom fireplace. It hadn't been lit in, I would guess, decades. My cat and I were frozen, just waiting for it to be over, neither daring to look across from the bed to the fireplace. My second house had a room that no one liked. It was strangely dark and had a door that would suddenly slam shut. I would lock up at night and keep a volunteer talking so I wouldn't be alone. The incident in that house, however, happened in the downstairs parlour. I was closing the house at around 4.30 in the summertime and followed the last visitor to say not to rush but that I would be locking up behind them. I walked from the hall into the long gallery a few steps behind as a woman with dark bobbed hair went into the well-lit parlour. As I walked in and opened my mouth to speak to her, I realised there was nobody there. My apartment was over two floors and I occupied what was the last owner's dressing room and bathroom, with my apartment separated by the door that led into his bedroom. The door was always locked as this room was open to visitors. We had work done to the electrics, etc. of the house, and it was decided for security to block the doorway from my side. After this, that door began to rattle. Another person who worked in the house had also seen and heard it, but told herself it was me. But on my side, it was now a plain, plastered wall with no access to the handle. 
I don't think Mr. Ash liked us making the changes that we made. I think anything physical would be the line for me. Pretty sure I could deal with noises, seeing things out of the corner of my eye, shadows, etc. But if something pushed me or grabbed my shoulder while I was working, I mean, that's during the working day. That's not a point when you're just waking up or you're half asleep or something physical has woken you up where people could say that's just sleep paralysis or that's just you dreaming or misinterpreting something. That's in the middle of your working shift where your brain is active and you are actively serving customers and something physically touches you. I would find that very difficult to deal with. I think I would, that would be my line. I think the second part of your story as well is a pretty amazing job working in those National Trust houses, looking after the collections. I didn't realise that there were people that lived there you know, in different, in apartments of the house or were provided apartments for the houses. And I I guess it makes sense really having caretakers, doesn't it? Wow, I didn't realise that was a thing. But again, like if there was ever going to be residual energy, it would be in houses like that. And to be honest, if that was my house, if I'd built that house, that was my home. And then suddenly the people who have swooped in are changing it. I'd be pretty annoyed too. And story number two comes from Annie. Many years ago, my husband and I, with our three small children, built a home in a brand new development. Several years after the move, my marriage started to fall apart. During this time, I was a full-time night nurse. I was often sleep-deprived and miserable in my marriage, trying to hold it together with three small children. My two girls, about ten and six at the time, shared a bedroom. Often the girls would tell me that if they didn't close their closet door all the way, huge wolves came out of it. Both of them would see the wolves. They would talk about them as if they were scary looking but did not appear to want to hurt them. The wolves would run out of their bedroom and disappear. I was so overwhelmed with all of the real things going on in our lives that I brushed off the ghost wolf claim, blaming it on their wild imaginations. I believe there was a Native American tribe that inhabited our small town in the past, even giving it its name. Hearing you guys talk about the wolf being a symbol of protection in Native American culture was very interesting. I know I wasn't mom of the year at the time. Who am I kidding? I'm never mom of the year. I feel guilty brushing off their claims, but I'm happy to report that both of my girls are bright, successful, confident young women who still to this day will tell you that they saw ghost wolves in their room. I'm also happy to report that I'm happily married and live in a different home, where there has been no ghost sightings. I do live on a piece of property with a small patch of woods behind it. There is an abandoned shack not far into the woods that my son fondly refers to as the Blair Witch Shack. None of us have disappeared yet, but I'll keep you posted. What a time of stress. I'm so glad, first of all, Annie, that you are beyond that time of stress in your life and that you're now happily married and and everything worked out okay. But it must have been so stressful to be miserable in your marriage, trying to raise three kids and then working as a night nurse as well. I can't even imagine it. I honestly, like I sometimes just look at parents, the parents in my life and I think, how do you do this? Like, how do you survive every day? It must be just so exhausting, but that's beside the point. Ghost wolves yet again. And I don't know enough about wolves and the symbolism of wolves in Native American tribes or what particular Native American tribes they're attributed to. The amount of wolf stories is baffling to me. Of all things that 
people say they see wolf big big spectral wolves is not what i expected and i've said that before i didn't expect this to be the thing that people wrote in most about and i wondered then about the power of negative energy we've spoken about that before that there's these negative situations that people are in whether it's a marriage breakdown or children experiencing their parents divorce whatever it is is it like a tulpa you know like something that's created of that energy because it seems to be just kids that see them as well. It doesn't, I don't remember, I don't recall a story where adults were seeing these wolves. I just find it really strange. And story number three comes from Harriet. I should preface this story by saying that I'm a spooky woman who comes from a spooky family. My great nana on my dad's side was one of the first ghost hunters. She would stay in haunted places in and around Birmingham in the UK for money and sometimes just for kicks, back in the 50s. My dad could not only tell you some of the best ghost stories you've ever heard, but he also had a collection of creepy antiques. Items such as Ouija boards and an antique grave robber's bottle, which he kept in his study, and subsequently led their cleaner to run from the house and inform the cleaning agency that my parents were devil worshippers and subsequently got them banned from every cleaning agency in the Warwickshire town that they lived in which still brings me unbridled joy and amusement even to this day. So I had ghost stories from when I was little, and I always thought I would share those with the podcast. Little did I know it was this most recent experience that I'd be telling today. My husband, our three-year-old daughter and I, sold our home in Coventry in the UK in May 2020. The house we had tried to buy fell through, so we had a brief spell living at my parents', then our own rental in Stratford-upon-Avon, before finally getting a rental house in the town we wanted to live, in Evesham in Worcestershire. Due to studying and work commitments, it was just my husband that viewed the house. I went along with it, and it was in the catchment area for my daughter's first choice primary school, so how bad could it be? I said if he was happy to agree to a year's tenancy, then I was happy. We got the keys, and he brought us both to look around. Even though I had seen pictures when I walked in, I just had a sinking feeling. The house was a weird boxy shape and the decor was so old-fashioned. The curtains in particular pissed me off and the beige carpet. But my husband had worked so hard to get it, I swallowed my criticism and said yes this will be absolutely fine and we moved in. A couple of weeks after we moved in, I became very aware of a presence on the stairs. It's hard to describe but it just felt lingering. Our cat, Noir, also started hissing and howling at the edge of the stairs and running up and down at howling. I mentioned it to my husband, who was a staunch Irish Catholic, who told me not to be so silly. However, the next few nights we were in bed, we heard a strange creaking and knocking sound from the spare room next to ours. My husband put it down to the age of the house. This carried on for several nights until one morning my husband came down and said he needed to talk to me. He had installed two motion lights on the stairs to help our daughter who was toilet training. He said that in the night he went to the toilet on the end of the landing and he turned around and watched a dark shadow run up slowly from the bottom to the top of the stairs, switching on both of the light sensors one after the other coming towards him. He uttered some long-forgotten Catholic school Hail Marys and ran to our room slamming the door shut where he sat shaking in the bed until he fell asleep. 
Following this information, the next day I decided to Google the house and I found out that nearly 20 years ago a woman committed suicide there. I then found an app which claimed to pick up ghost voices. The words it picked up were leave me alone, sad and help me which upset my husband further as he said there was a lost soul in the house that I was communicating with. And this was where it gets strange. My husband had a look in the attic for the first time. The only thing that there was was a packet of old Kodak photos. The pictures had dates on them from 1999. One in particular is addressed to the woman who passed away here. We discussed what to do. Do we contact the rental agency? But in the end, my husband put them back right where he found them. Several nights later, I returned from my job at a supermarket. It was really late, gone midnight. My husband decided to stay downstairs and I went straight to bed. At 4am, I awoke to find myself choking. I'd brought up a lot of stomach acid and I was lying on my back choking. A female voice, clear as a bell, said, Turn on your side or you will die. So I turned and spat on the floor, coughing and spluttering. It was the most bizarre thing. I don't suffer from stomach acid and I didn't go to bed drunk or under the influence of drugs. I have no explanation for it. Since then there has been no activity and I can't help but wonder if the spirit in the house saved me. Harriet, I love the fact that you refer to yourself as a spooky woman from a spooky family. That's just made my day and your grandmother sounds incredible. Imagine being that woman who stayed in haunted houses presumably for a bet I would imagine if she's doing it for money I presume it would have been like I bet you can't stay in that house overnight and she'd be like yes I can and she'd just go and do it also love that your family were branded as devil worshippers that's just incredible the experience in the rented house honestly sounds like something from a horror film from seeing the shadow to finding out that a lady had taken her own life there to then finding the pictures in the attic just sounds like it would be so scary i would be whipping out my old school catholic hail marys and our fathers as well i'd be like okay god you don't like me and i don't like you but uh we need to be working together on this one and i think it's the right thing to do by the way just putting putting stuff back where you got it and just saying okay this is what it is and it sounds like the lady in the house that she did save you she may have taken her own life in the house you know, if that's what we believe, that it is her spirit that's there. But that doesn't necessarily mean that she wants you to die. So it does sound like she saved you or at least told you what you needed to do to uh, sort out that stomach acid situation. And that is very strange. I've never had any sort of stomach acid, so I can't imagine how it would feel to wake up like that. That's so bizarre. And story number four comes from Mariah. When I was a toddler, my mom stayed home with my brother and I as a homemaker. She had put me down for a nap so she could get some housework done. A little while later, my mom heard me screaming and crying. She rushed upstairs to find out what was wrong. When she asked me what happened, I asked her why she couldn't see the man with the light. She brushed it off as a bad dream, brought me downstairs to the living room and tried to calm me. While we were snuggled up on the couch, I kept looking down the hallways, acting scared and asking my mom, can't you see the man with the light? This really terrified my mom and she phoned my dad to say that if my late grandpa was scaring me, he had to stop. My parents are not religious but spoke out loud to my grandpa later that day asking him not to scare me anymore. No further sightings happened with the man with the light. 
I don't remember what he looked like, but that's probably for a good reason. In 1992, a man murdered his severely disabled daughter by carbon monoxide poisoning and then took his own life. He committed this atrocity while his wife and other daughter were out Christmas shopping. The family lived across the park from my family, but the wife and daughter moved out of the community before my parents bought their house. I have always thought our house was haunted. Read as I've experienced plenty of scary stuff in this house. But my story isn't until many years later in 2013. I was taking a shower while no one was home. I knew I was by myself because I was a teenager, so I was looking forward to doing whatever I wanted and felt like an adult. While I was in the shower, the water suddenly stopped. Not like the water was shut off completely, but more as if someone was walking through the shower stream. And I just knew I was about to see some shit. I knew damn well not to stick around, so I got out of the shower, I plucked up some courage and opened the bathroom door. As I opened the door, I caught a glimpse of a young girl running past the bottom of the staircase. No spooky kid laugh, no footsteps heard, no horror genre trope. It was just scary as fuck. I believe she is the young girl who had her life cruelly ended by her dad. Perhaps in the next life we shed our human bodily limits, which may be why this girl was able to run and move around by herself, which she could not do in this life. Her energy was not aggressive or malicious. If it was her, I sincerely hope that sweet angel is resting at peace. Shortly after this, I moved out on my own and have not experienced any other ghosts. Somebody tagged me in a TikTok in the last couple of days that was all about like freaky things that kids say and I actually couldn't even watch it because I just thought to myself, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing this. I get it. Kids are like conduits for evil. Okay, they are linked to the supernatural in a way that we don't understand and they see things that we don't see. I get it. They don't need to show off about it. They don't need to share all their experiences. They don't need to be telling us everything that they see because I just can't handle it anymore. I'm just not able for it anymore. I somehow feel like the lack of laughter or the lack of footsteps kind of makes this worse somehow. I don't know why it makes it worse, but if you had laughter and footsteps, you could almost say, hey, that was a real person that's like run through the house. But when you've got silence, you're immediately like, oh, something's really wrong with this picture. I don't know. I think it's almost scarier. I know there are lots of people as well in different branches of Christianity that do believe that when you die and go to heaven that you are like the perfect version of yourself. I personally don't have an opinion on it one way or the other, but there is definitely some theological discussion around that. And story number five comes from Billy Joe. I just listened to the episode on predicting dreams and I have them quite often actually, but not scary by any means, but I wanted to share a couple of them with you. The first one, I was living in Calgary with my then boyfriend and in my dream I was standing at a desk with two women I'd never seen before and we were talking about breakfast sandwiches and then I said, oh yeah with bacon and the girl to my right said, I hate bacon and then I woke up. I thought, wow, that was a weird dream. Why would I dream of something like that? Six months later, having left my boyfriend in a bad breakup, I moved an hour north of Calgary and started a job at a salon. And that exact scenario that had taken place in my dream played out. And of course, I freaked out for a few minutes. But just to show, I guess I knew I would be leaving Calgary and I was meant to be on that path. My other dream I had was in the first month that I was with my ex. 
and I had a dream that he was going to leave me and get with his ex's mother. After telling my then boyfriend about the dream, he told me I was gross for thinking he would leave me for his ex's mother. They got married six months after him and I broke up. I suppose I should always listen to my dreams. That is absolutely worse than any paranormal experience. You know what? Haunt me, possess me, whatever. But imagine your ex then marrying his ex's mother. Imagine being his ex and your ex-boyfriend marries your mother. I I know that love has no boundaries. I do. I understand that as long as legal and consensual, all that jazz. But what oh I don't I don't know I'd never I wouldn't be able to deal with that if I had that dream I and then it happened I'd be like oh do you know what keep this power I don't want this superpower I don't want to be dreaming about stuff that's going to happen if it's going to be like that and how strange that the other dream was so mundane as in it was you having a conversation with some colleagues about bacon sandwiches random like it's such a such a mundane dream and then it happens exactly as you dreamed it a period of time later Maybe it is the universe's way of saying, hey, hey, you're on the right path. Don't worry about it. You're okay. And strain number six comes from Bob. Ever since I was a young kid, I've had experiences. I am a believer and so is the rest of my family. One of the first stories that I can remember was at my aunt's house in Redlands. The house that she lived in was the darkest house I've ever been in. Presence-wise, not lighting-wise. Redlands is one of the older cities in Southern California. Houses predate back to the 19th century. Anyways, I was asleep with my little cousins and I suddenly woke up and on her side of the bed there was an older lady staring down at her super angry. She immediately looked up at me, so I grabbed my cousin and carried her to the bathroom. We both fell asleep on the bathroom floor for the night. A couple of weeks later, my older cousins were exploring in the shed in the far back of the yard that my aunt never went into because it was locked. My older cousins told us they had found a picture of an older lady and on the back it said Mrs. Harris. I didn't believe them. My aunt eventually moved out and that was that with that house at least. So fast forward to the present time and I started listening to the Real Life Ghost Stories back catalogue in October and it made me wonder about that house so I tried to see if I could find it. I asked my cousin the address and she gave it to me. When I looked it up, I found that the owner of the house in 2000 was a lady named Helen Harris and she died in the house in 97 and the picture of the lady I saw popped up. It gave me chills and I will never forget that. My second story also happened at my aunt's house. However, she was living in an apartment When I was 10, I was up late at like 3am watching TV. The TV was located right next to a super small hallway. My aunt would always leave the light on. At the end of the hallway was the bathroom and to the right was my aunt's room and to the left was my cousin's room. I remember seeing something from the corner of my eye walk from my cousin's room to my aunt's. I remember staring at the hallway and I thought my eyes were just playing tricks on me. That was until I saw the figure walk out of my aunt's room and down the hallway towards me. The figure was practically see-through and I could see the outline of an older woman in an old Victorian-style dress. She walked all the way up to where I was laying and turned and went to the kitchen. I just turned the TV off, turned into the couch and went to sleep. When I woke in the morning, I told my aunt what I had seen. 
Her eyes widened while I told her the story and she told me that when my twin cousins play in the living room, they see an older woman in a dress standing over them and watching them. They said that she is not scary, that she is just keeping an eye on them. They were four at the time and had no reason to lie. After she told me, I never stayed up that late again. My first job after I graduated high school was at a local amusement park here in Riverside called Castle Park. I recommend looking it up because it's older and it's pretty creepy. I have heard that a lot of our city is built on Native American land, so there are stories all through Riverside which I will get to. When I started at Castle Park, I was a cafe cook. There were two spots you could buy food from. The first was the Big Top, which looked like a huge circus tent, and then the cafe which was where I worked. My co-workers used to tell us stories about how the Big Top was haunted. The girls would get their hair pulled, that they could hear chairs being dragged in the dining area, and to never go to the stage at night. I am already a believer, but I just shrugged it off. So after the park closed at 10, we stayed until 11.30pm cleaning the kitchen. One person was required to take all the dirty dishes to the Big Top and wash them in that huge dishwasher. The Big Top closes at 7, so when that one person goes, they are all alone in there. The first time I was there by myself, I was washing the dishes and I heard the chairs being dragged in the dining area. I walked out to the front of the kitchen so I could get full view and there was nobody there and it was completely pitch black. Literally three seconds later the kitchen phone went off and I thought it was one of the co-workers calling me from the cafe. So I picked up the phone and it was silent. I hung up the phone, did the dishes and went on my way. The last time that I was in there I was in the kitchen washing dishes again. When one load came out, you dry them and take them in this super small closet around the corner of the kitchen. I was putting on the first load in the corner and all the lights turned off. I immediately grabbed my phone and put the flash on and walked to the light switch. I knew it was not a prank because the switch was still on the on position and there are no timers. I flipped it off and back on and all the lights came back on again. The second load I was drying and taking them around the corner and the lights flipped off again. I put the dishes on the floor and noped out of there. I told my manager and she was okay with me leaving the stuff there and said we would clean them in the morning. There have also been sightings of a woman in white floating through the park after hours but I never experienced that. This story I'm not sure if it's paranormal or just a creepy person. There is a mountain here in Riverside that is pretty old. There is a paved road all around the mountain so it is like a hiking trail. When I was 17 years old, my friend and two girls and I were walking up the mountain at around 12am. When you did this, you definitely needed a flashlight to walk up, so we were all using our phones. There are never people up there. It's rare when there is that late at night. So we got to the top, hung out and did not come across anybody. As we were walking down, one girl saw a $10 bill on the floor and she picked it up and we were all just confused how we had passed it on the way up there. We walked some way down, and she found a $20 bill on the floor. She picked it up, and we were even more confused. And lastly, as we kept going down, she found a $100 bill, and at that point, all of us felt like we were being watched. We rushed back to the car and got the heck out of there. Obviously, it doesn't seem paranormal, but that one we have no explanation for. 
especially since we would have to pass it on the way up. And it was in the middle of the path. Just super weird if you ask me. This spot is also a Native American location and people will always hear running and screaming from the mountain. Sorry, hang on a second. I don't care if that story is paranormal or not, okay? Where is my random money on a footpath in the middle of the night? It does sound a bit like somebody is laying a trap for a human, you know, and there's going to be a big basket will fall over your head. I'm, I'm seeing very Wile E. Coyote vibes when I'm when I'm thinking about this. But like, if do you know what? I'd be embracing that paranormal experience. I'd be like, yeah, do you know, I'll take the money. Thanks very much. I feel like in the first story, when I, if I was the one that found that picture of Helen Harris after seeing her in the middle of the night and then being told that there was a picture of her and then not believing it, if I had then seen that picture of her, I think I would be, I, I would be so frightened because I think I would have eventually convinced myself, no, I must have been dreaming, it must have been real. And then to get confirmation that this person existed that you didn't know existed previously and you saw them in the middle of the night standing by your bed, no, wouldn't be able for it. And story number seven comes from Lucy. Over the past year since I began listening to real life ghost stories, I've been wondering how to put my story into words. It was truly one of the weirdest and most frightening series of events that I've ever experienced. It still gives me the shivers just thinking about it, yet I always find it so hard to describe. It was December 2012 and I had not long turned 18. I had a boyfriend at the time named Hugh and we had known each other for many years, but the step from a very flirtatious friendship to what turned out to be a brilliant relationship had only recently happened. I lived with my family in Leeds in the north of England, while Hugh was living with his parents in Brecon in South Wales. Visiting his family in their beautifully cosy converted barn always felt like a relaxing holiday and I loved spending time there. It was only my second or third visit to Hugh's home, so one day close to Christmas he decided that we should make the 40-minute drive into Cardiff to enjoy the city's festivities and so I could experience a real Welsh Christmas. We spent the day sampling all the goods that Cardiff's German Christmas market had and I experienced my first ever taste of Wagamama's, so maybe not so Welsh in the end, but enjoyable nonetheless. We must have left Cardiff at around 5 or 6 p.m., It was late December, so it was definitely dark by the time we got into the car. I remember we didn't have the radio on as we chattered about our day and whatever random film quotes we were currently obsessed with saying, when Hugh suggested we take a more scenic route back. I think he wanted to show me a barn his parents had considered buying before they settled on their beautiful barn or something along those lines, but whatever the reason, it meant driving along some property out in the sticks country roads. A couple of days before, I had flicked through a local newspaper during breakfast and two stories had caught my attention. One was that due to the festive season, police were doing random spot checks on drivers to deter people from drunk driving after a few too many festive beers at the pub or at the office. The second story was that people had reported seeing strange lights in the sky over the Brecon Beacons, the hilly landscape for which that part of Wales is famed. I think I had joked about this to Hugh and his mum, maybe even saying, imagine if we saw something like that. On our drive back from Cardiff to the hospitable barn, along those dark and deserted roads through the fields and hills, Hugh and I passed the discovery that was parked on the side of the road. There was nothing nearby, no buildings, gates or side roads to speak of, yet this car seemed to be empty. 
I thought it was a little bit odd, but I knew I was easily spooked during nighttime drives thanks to the consumption of many a Stephen King or Dean Koontz novel, so I didn't mention it. Weirdly, there were quite a few sheep lined along the road close to the car. However, I just assumed they were interested in the discovery, so again, said nothing. A few minutes passed and I caught sight of a flash of blue and red lights in the wing mirror, coming from somewhere behind us. I told Hugh to make sure he wasn't speeding, so as to avoid any police attention. Hugh looked into the rearview mirror, confused. He could see no lights, or police presence behind. I was adamant I had seen the familiar lights. I asked him to slow again, and he did. But since there was no other cars on the road, he came to almost a complete halt so that he could safely look behind for the lights. Simultaneously, we noticed two firefly-sized lights about 10 or 20 metres behind the car. The lights were lazily circling around each other, moving much like a pair of lazy insects in a lethargic dance. We both had our heads and bodies turned to the right so we could peer back at the lights. The lights slowly began to move faster around each other and gradually began to move towards the car. I was already beginning to feel scared. I asked Hugh what they were and he said he thought it was a kid messing around or some sort of identification light that a farmer had fitted to a sheep. He said he would wind down the window so we could hear their footsteps in the muddy fields that lined the road. That was a mistake. We heard no footsteps. As soon as the window opened just a crack, the car was filled with a sound that I have never heard before and have never heard since. My skin is fully goose-pimpled as I write this. The sound was extremely metallic, but it was like a moan. The best way I can describe it is like the noise made in the grudge, if that noise came from a machine. All the while the lights were circling even faster and moving ever closer to the car. I began to panic and asked Hugh to drive. He was entranced by the lights. It took me a shout and I'm sure some tears to pull him from his trance and get him to drive. I don't really remember much of the rest of that drive. I'm sure we discussed what had happened and we were both frightened. I do remember Hugh requesting that we say nothing to his mum so as not to worry her. We got home, went inside and relaxed. After an hour or so, Hugh suggested we visit Blockbuster to rent a film for the evening. We headed out to the car, discussing what film we might fancy. I put my hand under the door handle of the passenger side and immediately withdrew. I had touched something wet and horrible. I made a disgusted noise which got Hugh's attention. He asked me what was up and I told him. I remember his face dropping. He didn't understand why there would be mud or something wet on the handle. The dogs haven't been outside, he said in a quiet voice. And when we were looking at those lights, neither of us would have seen if someone came up to your side of the car. Again, I'm shivering just writing this. I actually don't remember if we boycotted our blockbuster trip or if we went or what film we got. I just remember thinking that someone or something wanted our attention and wanted in our car. Of course, I'm sure there is some logical explanation to both, but in tandem they seemed very eerie and unsettling. This was made worse about six months later. Hugh and I were at my parents' house in Leeds. 
We were at home alone and we had gone to bed to watch Family Guy or something in comfort. The blinds in my bedroom were white and a black and grey psychedelic pattern on them. Basically rubbish at blocking out light, but looked fabulous. It was summer, but it was cool outside and in the room, so my windows were closed. We were both suddenly overcome with a hugely oppressive feeling, like some sort of pressure had come over the house. The room lit up through my rubbish blinds. When I think about it in my head, I see some sort of huge UFO hovering over the house, which sounds ridiculous. However, that feeling was soon followed with a deafening sound, as if some sort of aircraft was hovering directly above the house. The noise remained for around 30 seconds. It did not change in pitch or volume, as you would expect for some aircraft passing over, and the oppressive feeling remained. I don't know how or why, but I remember instinctively feeling like this noise was somehow related to the noise I had heard six months prior in that car in the Brecon Beacons. And as suddenly as it all appeared, it vanished, both the sound and the feeling. I sometimes wish we had looked out of the window, but more often than not, I'm so glad we didn't. I love to tell this story after a few shandies, and when I do, I instinctively call it my alien story, even though I'm not really sure that's what it was. Hugh and I split up in 2015, and while I still think he's an excellent human being, we don't talk so I can no longer share my experience with someone who empathises. I would love someone to write in with a reasonable explanation for this, so that my mind can be put at ease. If they do, then maybe I could sleep with the curtains open every once in a while. Oh no, stop. No, stop, that story is that story has absolutely traumatised me. Lucy, I... I don't even have anything I want to say about it because I'm so frightened. When The Grudge first came out all those years ago, that film terrified me because of the sound that she made, which is this sound, in case anybody doesn't know. Uh, That's the sound she makes, right? Sorry, I know everybody gets really annoyed when I do that. I've done it a couple of times in the podcast and people have been like, don't make that noise, it's really scary. But that's the sound that she makes if you haven't seen The Grudge. So thinking about that, but metallic, I actually, I am not okay. I don't have a reasonable explanation I don't want to think about it. I I would also automatically think the two things were linked. I'd be convinced they were linked. Sorry, Lucy, that's not very helpful for you. What was the substance on the door of the car? That's what I want to know. What was the substance? Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Sash, Annie, Harriet, Mariah, Billy, Joe, Bob, but not Lucy. No thanks to you, Lucy, because I'm not okay after that story. But thank you to everybody else for sending in your stories. The last story, remember, was from March the 25th, 2021. If you would like to find out anything about the podcast, you can do so by logging on to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you next time. <laughs>